So yes, we're working our way through uh, Paul's letter to the Corinthians, his second letter to Corinthians, uh, week by week over this whole term. I'm enjoying it already, I hope you are too. And today we're continuing in that, looking at 2 Corinthians 4 that Grada read for us. Do keep your Bibles open if you'd like to. I personally find when I'm listening to a message, it's much easier to kind of see the passage as we're working it through together, if that's helpful to you. So we've learned that Paul started this community in Corinth on one of his missionary journeys. You can read about that back in Acts chapter 18. And we've also learned that things were a bit prickly between Paul and some of the Corinthians in the church. So Paul had got a report that things weren't going particularly well, and he wrote 1 Corinthians, particularly looking to address some of their moral and theological problems. If you read 1 Corinthians, that letter is full of his addressing of those sorts of issues, and he also went to visit the church. Now, 2 Corinthians is actually instead about his problems with those people in the church who were rejecting his leadership and who were rebelling against his authority. They had a very different idea of what leadership was and they had rejected Paul as a leader. And so I say all of that to help you understand that the whole of chapter 4 is actually a counter, really, to those who were questioning him. Chapter 4, if you look at it, is really his testimony. It's Paul's story, and it's his defence. And then right in the middle of this chapter, in the middle of that testimony, is this glorious phrase and image, treasure in jars of clay, verse 7, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us, that Cindy has already so helpfully alluded to and prayed about. Now, everything that Paul says around that, before it and after it, makes sense in the light of this metaphor that he uses. And so what I want to do today is to unpack this passage in the light of this image to see what we can learn. And I've called it jars of clay, not losing heart. What can we learn from Paul's own story and from this metaphor that he uses that will help us in our discipleship journey? There are some tips here. It's a kind of discipleship 101 about what it looks like to follow and trust Jesus in all the ups and downs of life as Paul did. Now, when this letter was written, clay vessels, of course, were Everywhere. They were widely used. They were used as containers for food, containers for water. Uh, Common lamps were made of clay also, and they would contain oil uh, with a kind of floating wick inside. So they were everyday use for all sorts of kind of daily functions. But clay jars were also used to hide valuables like money or jewellery or even parchment scrolls. The Dead Sea Scrolls were actually found in clay jars. These pottery jars were found everywhere, but they were very fragile. And Paul, using something so familiar and something so everyday for the Corinthians, would have resonated with them. He's saying to them, God has placed his treasure, a very precious thing, more precious than your money or your valuables that you hide away from robbers inside earthenware pots. God has placed his treasure that is the gospel, the good news of Jesus, that, that, that life-changing power, so precious, he has put that inside weak and fragile human vessels. And why has he done that? So that no one can mistake the source of that life-changing power. This was God's design 
and plan so that the good news of Jesus is carried around by ordinary, frail people like you and me. Verse 5 and 6, For what we preach is not ourselves, Paul says. We preach Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. So that's the treasure. We preach the gospel. We preach the good news. For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. So Paul's saying, I might not be very impressive, I am weak, but we preach Jesus and his light shines from these jars of clay. I don't know how many of you have ever made anything out of clay. My first experience of clay was a uh, pinch pot that I made when I was about seven. Um, I actually did a pottery course when I was at university, which was really, really good fun. But you know what? It is so hard. Throwing pots is really, really difficult. This programme has suddenly become really popular. Tell me, raise your hands, has anybody watched the great pottery throwdown? See loads of you who've never thrown a pot in your life have got obsessed with this incredible programme. I heard it described, if you think, uh, if you think the Great British Bake Off is gentle, you need the great pottery throwdown. It's warm and it's gentle. Um, the head judge... He cries every episode at the beauty of the pots. Uh, and I'm told 1.9 million viewers for the last series. You know, who knew? Who knew that clay could be so wonderful? There's clearly something appealing about clay. Now, I know that we actually have somebody who is a bit of a potter in our church. Uh, Ali Topman is here. If you haven't met Ali yet, she is uh, Charles and Judy Riggs' daughter. Give it, go on, Ali, stand up and give us a wave. Just so we know who you are. That's it. You can clap her in a minute because I'm going to show you one of her pots. Um, Now, um, I talked to Ali about her pottery and she has recently had a whole pottery shed built in her garden with a potter's wheel. And I think I remember this right, Ali. Did you tell me that you said to your husband, if you build me a shed, I don't need any other presents ever again or something like that? Yes, and he did. And you now have a, a pottery shed in your garden. In fact, here it is. There's the shed and there is Ali's wheel. And here is Ali actually using the wheel. And if you watch her, it looks so simple because she's so good. But it shows you how careful you need to be and actually how fragile and malleable that clay is. (laughs) They're waiting for kind of blooper moment at the end, Ali, and there isn't one. It is actually mesmerising to watch clay being worked with in this way. Isn't that just incredible to see that happening? And actually, I've got one of Ali's um, jars here for you to see. It's... You won't be able to see it, but you can see it on the screen. It is incredibly beautiful, but also when you hold it, you're aware also how fragile clay is. I talked to Ali about my message for today and about clay being fragile and what it represents in Scripture. And she was saying to me that clay is fragile in all of its forms and states. When it's first thrown on the wheel, as we saw... um, It needs very gentle moving and manipulation so that it doesn't lose its shape. When it's dried, it's at its most brittle, and and then it's at its most fragile. 
And she describes her love of working with clay and actually how she sees in it a bit something of the way that God works with us. So gentle when we need it, the way that he forms and shapes us, but gently and with tenderness. And then the firing being like the refining and the firming up of our faith where we're strengthened through hardship. And of course, the glazing and the decoration that she's done here on this beautiful jar being like God's fingerprints, the design, the the thing that he's made the jar for, what he's called us to do. I actually found it really inspiring that I asked Ali if she'd like to preach the sermon, but she didn't take me up on that. (laughs) Paul says his treasure is invested in us, fragile jars of clay. And how does knowing that help our daily walk with Jesus our discipleship. I want to mention four brief things that I see here in 2 Corinthians 4, where this metaphor of jars of clay helps us to not lose heart, helps us to be able to follow Jesus. The first thing is that it bookends our faith story with courage. If you look at Paul's chapter here, it begins and ends with a statement that we do not lose heart. Have a look at that if you've got it open. Verse 1, therefore, he says, verse 1, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. And then at the end, verse 16, therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. Paul bookends his own testimony about being a fragile vessel, vessel carrying God's message in this, cha- in this chapter with this phrase. The Greek word is ekakeo, which has the sense of being utterly weary and exhausted, to faint or to give up. It's got the sense of just coming to the end of your own endurance, the end of yourself, deciding that you can't go on. And Paul says, therefore, in verse 1, and that refers back to the covenant that God has made with those who come to him through Jesus. Roger spoke about that two weeks ago. Paul is now defending his ministry to the Corinthians and saying, because of this covenant and because of this ministry that he's called to, despite feeling weary and exhausted, we do not lose heart. Paul bookends his story with his exhortation to courage and to taking heart. And his exhortation to us would be to do the same. It's been uh, wonderful to be part of the dedication of Stanley this morning. As parents of small children, I'm sure, Ed and Harriet, you fully appreciate the concept of being exhausted and wrung out. As parents, you invest so much physical and emotional energy into children, especially when they are small and you don't sleep very much. It is wearying. But you do it because overriding the tiredness and the strain and the pressure, you know that what you have is so precious and so valuable. And in the same way that a parent doesn't give up on their child, despite the weariness, because what they're investing in is so precious, we can take heart too as Christian believers. We can have courage too and not give up despite our weariness because of the precious treasure that God has put inside us. If you are weary today, take heart. Therefore, because of this covenant, because of this treasure... We do not lose heart. God knows that you are a fragile vessel. In fact, he knows it. And in fact, that was his plan. That was his design. He made you that way. You house his treasure. And therefore, because of that, we do not lose heart. Let's bookend our story with courage. 
Secondly, there's something helpful here as Paul talks about jars of clay that, help, that means we can resist the pressure to be impressive. God puts his treasure in ordinary people on purpose. Now, don't forget that Paul's authority and leadership are in question. He's been challenged as a leader. Those who were opposing him believed, just as many people might do today, that leaders need to be impressive. They need to be forceful and strong personalities. The ancient Greeks were characterised by an admiration for for success. The, The cult of the hero was very, very strong. And Paul's saying, actually, you're missing the point if you're looking at me and complaining that I'm not that person. He's saying, actually, in God's economy, the opposite is true. The first six verses of our chapter here, chapter four, are central to Paul's view of his own job description. He says in verse two and three, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. So there's an enemy. There's an enemy who stops people seeing the truth. He says the gospel is veiled. And he is called to speak about it plainly. And then verse 5, for what we preach is not ourselves. I don't preach myself as an impressive leader. We don't preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. And we preach ourselves as servants for his sake. So can you see what Paul's saying? We preach him as Lord. He is the treasure. He is the precious thing. I am not impressive. We are just servants. We are just the jars of clay. Let's celebrate being ordinary. When people see Jesus shining out of ordinary people, it's God who gets the glory, isn't it? Not the impressive person who speaks so well, who's so magnificent. When ordinary people shine for the Lord Jesus, he gets the glory, and that is God's design. We don't need to be impressive or successful or have a big personality. Let's celebrate the ordinariness. God calls us to quiet faithfulness. He puts his treasure in ordinary people. And when we are on our frontline places this week, when we're in our workplace or in our neighbourhood or caring for family or our neighbours, when we're rubbing up against people who might not share our faith, let's pray that in the ordinary acts of love and service, they would see Jesus shining. I'm sure I've said to you before that I feel like as, as as a kind of minister in a church, people never ring me up to tell me they're having an average day. Most of you are out and about having average days most of the time. I hear the good things and the sad things, the real joys and the real sadnesses. And actually, we're full of a church of very average people, praise God for it, who are serving him, shining out Jesus in these jars of clay. Let's be gloriously average and celebrate that. There's a third help as we think about this metaphor, and I've called it the hindsight principle. It always helps to look back with hindsight. Hindsight is when you get an understanding or a perspective about an event in the past, even if it's a different way after it's happened. With hindsight, I shouldn't have put so much chilli in my dinner last night. With hindsight, I should have accepted the job that I was offered, for example. This man, Dick Rowe, is the man who 50 years ago didn't sign the Beatles He's recorded as saying that guitar groups were on their way out, and so he passed up the opportunity to sign them. He was doing what he thought was sensible at the time, but he is quoted as saying, hindsight is a wonderful thing. The Apostle Paul uses hindsight here in our passage, verse 8. We are hard-pressed on every side, 
but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. He describes what life is like for himself as an apostle. And actually the themes of hardship and suffering, they come up time and again. We'll see it running through this letter to Corinthians. It's a theme that runs through. When you put verse 8 and 9 of this chapter, chapter 4, and you compare it with verse 8 and 9 of chapter 1, we see a really fascinating thing. If you wanted to flick back to that, to 2 Corinthians 1, 8 and 9, this is what Paul says then in chapter 1. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under pressure far beyond our ability to endure so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. Familiar words, chapters 1 and chapter 4. Now, in chapter 1, it really feels like he is being absolutely crushed and in despair. It's quite stark. He says that he felt that he'd received a death sentence. Things were really bleak. What he says here... In chapter 4, he says, with the benefit of hindsight, hard-pressed, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, struck down, but not destroyed. So Paul still feels those things. Life is still very challenging, but he has hindsight that God saw him through, and he knows that this is part of living out of the gospel. And actually, this is such a comfort to those of us who are facing difficulty. Yes, it's very real, it's very painful, Paul felt it, and we feel it. But we have treasure within, and we can use hindsight to hold on to. In our faith journey, hindsight is so valuable. When things have been hard, and we see how God has brought us through in the past... We hold on like Paul did. It's like we've got a memory bank of stuff that we bank in the past. And we look back and we remember the hindsight principle. Oh, yes, it was hard, but God brought me through. And then the treasure shines out in our weakness, the hindsight principle. And the final thought as we think about these jars of clay is the long game. We as Christians are to have the long view, the eternal perspective. Paul's final paragraph here is just so wonderful. Probably one of my favourite bits of scripture. He's still defending his ministry. You know, he's still explaining why his suffering should mean that he isn't losing, that he is losing heart and that he isn't. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. We are called to walk with Jesus every day of our lives, allowing his treasure that is in jars of clay to be seen by others and for him to get the glory. And what keeps us going with that fragility is that ultimately there is an eternal glory for us. The reason we're here today is because Jesus promises us life to the full now, his treasures in us now, but of course we're here because we are trusting in an eternity with him. We actually had these verses read quite recently at John Sands' funeral just before Easter. John was a dearly loved church member here, and one of my reflections at that 
service and still now was that John was a man who knew how precious the treasure was within him, but that he held on to an eternal perspective right to the end. The challenges of life are shaping us and renewing us, ready for an eternal glory. Fix your eyes on him. Paul says, hold on, hold on, do not lose heart. We have treasure in something that is just clay, that is just fragile. And of course, one day, the clay jar and what it represents, the the clay vessel that is us, actually will come to an end and it will break down entirely and our earthly life will finish. And then the treasure that's inside will find its fullness with the Lord when we're with him. And the eternal perspective helped Paul not to lose heart. And it can do the same for us. We have treasure in jars of clay. There are so many lessons. These are my four from 2 Corinthians 4. Let's bookend our faith story with courage. Therefore, we do not lose heart at the beginning and at the end. We can let go of the need to be impressive. Be average this week and celebrate it and pray that the treasure in you will shine out. We can hold on to the hindsight principle, knowing that God has brought us through before and he will do it again. And we commit ourselves to the long game, the eternal perspective that this point, the fragility of this clay points to, that one day, friends, we will be with him. Hold on, hold on. Let's pray together. Perhaps the band wants to come back and we'll pray. I just want to give you a moment of quiet. It's always good just to digest what God might have been saying to us, isn't it? So just have some quiet. What is your takeaway thoughts that the Lord is speaking to you about today? And just spend a few moments praying about that. Jesus, we thank you so much that you have placed your treasure in these fragile jars of clay, in us. How incredible. And we're sorry that we take it for granted, the incredible gift you've given us. And we thank you for choosing to do that and invest that in us. So we give you the glory, Lord. Thank you that you choose to use ordinary people like us. Would you help us to take heart and hold on, not give up, keep trusting in you as we walk with you. Help us to resist the world's attempts to make us impressive or successful. Pray you'd help us to look back to what you've done for us in the past uh, with gratitude and that that would help us to hold on. And we pray that you'd give us a vision of the future. That every single one of us here has got the hope of eternity with you if we put our trust in you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for treasure in jars of clay.